This podcast episode is supported through a contribution from the McFadden family. Hi, fellow music lovers, musicians, songwriters, and or fellow spiritual seekers. Welcome to Songs, Spirituality, and Stuff, a podcast that explores the relationship between music and faith through interviews, performances, and sometimes my own musings. I'm your host, Sean Rummy. For this first episode, I thought I'd share some details about this show and myself. We'll start with me. Since I can remember, faith has been a part of my life, including the questioning of it. Raised in the Pentecostal wing of Christianity, I gravitated toward deism in college and considered myself a deist until my early 30s when I became an Episcopalian. For more than 20 years, I have regularly attended St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Excelsior Springs, Missouri, where I was confirmed in the fall of 2000. I hope to record some episodes of songs, spirituality, and stuff at St. Luke's, or at least some segments for them. It's also at St. Luke's where I regularly perform as part of Sacred and Secular. Founded in late 2013, Sacred and Secular is a musical collective like, say, the Knights Orchestral Ensemble, the Silk Road Ensemble, or Parliament Funkadelic, all influences of Sacred and Secular, by the way. In keeping with its name, the collective performs sacred music along with secular music that makes references to faith tradition images, figures, and ideas, including songs that challenge and or wrestle with the issue of faith. Music from the popular, or secular, if you will, songbook that the collective has interpreted has included Cole Porter's What Is This Thing Called Love, the Curtis Mayfield penned People Get Ready, and Man on the Moon, written and originally recorded by the now-defunct rock band R.E.M. Alas, for licensing reasons, it'll probably be a while before you hear... Any outside copyrighted material performed on songs, spirituality, and stuff. At least for now, it'll be original material or arrangements of public domain material. And at least for now, much of it'll be performed by incarnations of sacred and secular. As I said, it's a collective, so the lineup is fluid. That's why I say incarnations of sacred and secular. Speaking of sacred and secular, here's a spoiler alert. There will be promotions for sacred and secular related projects and sacred and secular members on song spirituality and stuff. This will be particularly true early on as I'm expanding my list of music contacts outside of sacred and secular to provide some variety. E.E. E. Pointer, my guest for this episode of song spirituality and stuff, is one of those members of sacred and secular. A graduate of Richmond High School in Richmond, Missouri, like myself, he studied music at the conservatory at Central Methodist College, now Central Methodist University, in Fayette, Missouri. After college, he was a public school teacher for 30 years, including 24 years in the Richmond R16 School District. He also taught in private education for five years. In addition, he served for six years as an adjunct instructor at Wentworth Military Academy and College in Lexington, Missouri, which closed in 2017. Now retired from public school teaching, he continues to teach privately. Disclosure, I'm one of his students. 
Outside of performing occasionally with Sacred and Secular, his musical pursuits include performing with the River Cow Orchestra and solo projects. In April, E.E. E. and I spoke by phone. The topics we covered included how his faith, Buddhism, influences his music. Here's what he had to say. Talk about your journey from being raised in, in Methodism to how you found Buddhism or how Buddhism found you. This is when I was a child, and, uh, you know, I think I had 12 or more years of perfect Sunday school attendance, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I don't pretend to be, a, uh, you know, somebody that knows everything there is to know about a religion, but I, you know, I was pretty well versed in what went on, and so... When I got to Central Methodist, the uh, nice thing about them then was you had to take a whole slew of uh, religious classes. And uh, so, you know, when it came time for me to study uh, Hinduism and Taoism and uh, Buddhism, um, you know, really got me because it looked it, it felt like there was uh, an extra flavor there and that was my first exposure to that kind of uh, thought that wasn't Methodism uh, I'm I, I, and since then uh, I, I lost track of the Methodist Church I stopped for whatever reason, you know, we all have our personal reasons about, you know, whatever's going on in the country or whatever. And I, and I took a pause and, um, let's see, I can't, let's see, it's 2020 and let's see, it was about, uh, about 20 years ago that I experienced, uh, some final thoughts about uh, how I wanted to live out the rest of my existence here in this in this uh, plane, and uh, I decided to uh, you know start studying more about Buddhism, and I uh, Sean I found that uh, my practice and thoughts now is somewhere between. Tibetan Buddhism, which is very, very, uh, you know, uh, it's like Methodist. There's a lot of pageantry and a lot of stuff like that. And uh, the other part of it is like Zen Buddhism, and, and that's just real simple. You know, that's the difference in between those two. And I think my practice of thought lies somewhere in between those two. So uh, it's been about 20 years, but... We practice daily, and I don't really look backward over, you know, what I've done. Or I, I don't really think about it a lot. When you uh, contacted me about this, that was the first time I really thought about how it had grown. Uh, it just is. So in the roughly 20 years that you've been an observant Buddhist, in what ways would you say that Buddhism has influenced you 
as a performer and as a music teacher? Well, when I first started uh, my Buddhist thought, I was uh, I was still going to teach another nine years. I mean, that's what it ended up being, another nine years. So I didn't really, I don't talk about that kind of stuff at school when I was at school. I just didn't talk about it. I, or to anybody else for that matter, my wife was aware of, of you know, the evolution that I was going through. But, uh, and she was very supportive. I mean, you can't ask for a better friend or a better person on the face of the earth. And by the way, as a, a side thought, Boy, I sure am glad I'm here with her during this thing. <laughs> I can tell you, she's something. Uh, but I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't really even talk about when I used to be a Methodist. I, I just don't talk about that stuff. I just thought if I was going to do it, I would have to just live it, you know. And I thought that was a lot more important than talking about it. And so for those nine years, uh, I didn't really mention it to anybody. Of course, I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I had to. It was nobody's business. Uh, but, uh, you know, it did start affecting my teaching from the standpoint that I listened a lot closer to children. And uh, I... I lost all. I lost a, a lot of sense of judgment. Uh, I didn't. If that makes sense to you, I uh, I still did what I had to do as a teacher. But uh, a, a teacher makes you know hundreds of personal judgments every day, and I, I got to the point where my judgments weren't clouded, but they certainly were influenced. And then as far as with my music, um, the link to creativity, I think, Sean, in my case, uh, that would be uh, composing and improvisation. Uh, I, it's a study in mindfulness, which is a big part of uh, my Tibetan slash Zen uh, Buddhist thought. Uh, mindfulness is very, very important. And uh, as a collaborative soloist in uh, the River Cow Orchestra, they have given me the opportunity with mindfulness in, in a sense that it presents itself endlessly when we are playing or when we're recording or something like that or when we're doing a clinic or something. Uh, it... it you have to be lost in the moment. I mean, when all of us are in the same moment, um, and, and, and then mindfulness takes place with all of us, music magic takes place, man. Uh, it's very spiritual, and it's also very loving and happy. Uh, so you could say spiritual equals loving equals happy. Uh, I don't think any Christian would be, uh, again, I'm not joking, I just, I think any Christian, if you could mix spiritual and loving and happy in the same motion, uh, the world would be a totally different place. Because you mentioned the River Cow Orchestra, and you mentioned the, the influence of Tibetan and Zen Buddhism, uh, 
on playing it in the moment is it is it difficult to be able even when you're in an ensemble like that where everything's made up on the spot is it difficult to to stay centered and and mindful and and in the moment when you're playing oh heavens yes i mean when we practice I mean, I can only speak from my standpoint. I know the other guys do what they do. Uh, I do two things when I practice. Uh, and I count them both as practice because it ultimately that's the kind of playing I'm going to be doing. I've got to be prepared to do it. The first practice is just physical, basic things that I drill on so that I'm able to complete my thoughts. It's like sharpening a pencil. You might have a sketch to draw, but if you don't have your lead right, you can't get anything down on paper that looks good. So if my uh, physical practice is not good, then it's uh, it's hard to do what you want to do. So uh, 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 a lot of time in my practice is spent in just drilling old things I used to play. You know, uh, I'll go through my Arvin book. I'll go through the Charlier book. I'll uh, play exercises. And I'll do scales. You know, it's, it's real mundane, humdrum stuff. But if I don't do that, I'm, oh, I can't leave out the Schlossberg book. Thanks, bro. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, he always got me about that. Uh, it, then, it, you know, you have to be able to do what you're thinking. Uh, the other kind, the other kind of practice I do, uh, besides uh, obviously my spiritual practice, is stuff to keep my brain going. Word puzzles, old movies. Uh, you know, watch. Last, I think this uh, big long hiatus. You know, usually I see the guy. The longest we're off in the last twelve years. We usually take a hiatus in winter uh, for about two and a half months at the most. And even then, we see each other to record and stuff like that. But between our performances, there's about two and a half months. Well, I haven't even seen the guys for over four months. And that's a little frustrating. And, um, you know, if you don't see them, you have to figure out things to to make your mind get cultivated. And uh, I had some problems yesterday, I'll just tell you. I was, my mind was, I was trying to, I, I'd already practiced, and I was looking for something for my mind to do. And I ended up, because I, I guess it's just what's going on out there in the crazy world, I ended up watching an old video of the Banana Man of Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> and I watched this dude that was dressed like a unicorn doing a dance in Europe. Now, you tell me that this uh, coronavirus thing is not making some of us a little batty. Uh, <laughs> I will say this, though. I'm taking solace in being able to review and rescan. Uh, we're lucky from that standpoint, the Rivercat Orchestra, because we've got 22 albums, and 
and there's a lot of music there. I think there's over 200 uh, copyrighted tunes and stuff we've done. And you know what? I can go back, and uh, it's sort of nice to be able to go back and listen to them and review them and relive the moments of mindfulness that took place when we were making uh, that recording. So at least we have that for right now, and I'm sure we'll get together again. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, being in the moment is uh, a real important part of what you were talking about uh, in a creative and, uh, you know, in a creative and uh, composing sphere. Well, going back to what you had had said about having had a chance to go through the the cows catalog, as you've listened to to those tunes, any anything jumped out at you in terms of musicianship or uh, just? Well, I'm constantly amazed at the musicians around me. Brett Bowman on keyboards continues to amaze me every day with his, um, the, the way he approaches things. And I'm knocked out by Mike LaGrega, our synthesized guy. Uh, he just, he's probably one of the tastiest musicians I've ever played with. Uh, Greg Field, what a creative genius he is, both through his written word, uh, spoken word, and his playing, and the different tone colors and timbres that he can come up with on the drums. And uh, the guitar players we've been playing with lately, uh, George Boji and uh, Isaku Yamaachi, uh, two fantastic guitar players. Uh, George has been knocking around Kansas City for a number of years, and he's just one fine human being, and uh, Sock is just, uh, boy, he is a beast uh, on, the, you know, on the guitar. Our bass players, we, we've gone, you know, we have, uh, I think uh, there's about nine of us, ten of us uh, sometimes. We never all play together at the same time, but uh, we stack, you know, since we've got so many gigs. Trade back and 
guys that are in the group and the gal that's in the group, they're uh, fantastic musicians, and I'm, I, I feel really lucky to be able to, when I sit down, to be with them and to share uh, our musical collaborations. Uh, let's see. I don't think I left anyone out. I Sometimes Brett's son, who is just an incredible uh, saxophone and flute player, you know, he's a, uh, he's a doctor and a pharmacist now, uh, right on the front lines in the COVID-19 uh, fight. Uh, but uh, he plays with us occasionally. Uh, and when he was in high school, he was uh, principal in the all-state bands and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's a fantastic player. Uh, and he, he sits in with us and plays with us sometimes, too. But uh, it's uh, I feel really lucky, Sean. I never thought... Uh, 12 years ago that I would still be playing like I am. And uh, I'm, I'm one of the lucky guys, you know. And uh, I can still send music and, and, and make music and be a part of it. You know, I, I was, in the last couple of days, I've been listening to a lot of different things. Uh, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I was just watching videos like the Banana Man and the Unicorn Man. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do listen to a lot of things. And I was listening to Keith Jarrett, and I came across one of his interviews, and one of his quotes really sums up where I like to think I am now as a musician. Yeah, I, Sally asked me the other day how long I've been playing, and I, you know, I, again, I don't think about that. I started playing piano when I was five, and I started playing the trumpet when I was ten, and I turned sixty-eight. So you can do the math, you know. <laughs> so yeah, where I am now, uh, the the quote that where I'd like to think I am is the quote that Keith Jarrett said. He said this, and I think it's beautiful. He said, the more experience a person has, the more simplicity is profound. End quote. And I just think that's, uh, that's it, you know. So I might not play a thousand notes, you know. I don't even know if that's bad. You know, if you've got a thousand things to say and, and you play a thousand notes, you know, but uh, I don't, I mean, just because you can, it means you should. <laughs> you play the ones that count. Yeah, yeah, and know when to, and know when not to play. That's, that, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a secret. It's not a secret. It's, it's just the way it is. You just have to remember if it's a collaboration, then you you collaborate, you listen, and that's so important. And uh, the mindfulness takes place when you are listening and aware of everything around you. You know, and if you go back and listen to some of our recordings, you can hear all that taking place for sure. It, it's hard to describe after that because yeah, I, I don't know who said it, and this is a total paraphrase, but. Uh, talk 
talking about music's like dancing about architecture. <laughs> yeah, you can figure that one out. Yeah, I I hadn't heard that one. Have did the uh, did did the cows get any music in the can before the coronavirus hit? That's scheduled to be released. Or? Yeah, we had one we just released. Uh, it's called uh, ooh, what is it called? Um, uh, First Bliss, F I R S T B L I S S, and it's uh, really interesting. It it really comes off as uh, minimalism in a lot of cases. Um, you know, it's interesting to, um, it's interesting to, to sort of get people's ideas about, you know, the band, you know, people always ask us what kind of music you guys play, like that's important, I guess. Sometimes we sound like Frank Zappa, sometimes like Butch Morris, let's see who else. Uh, Russell Roland Kirk, Miles Davis Electric, sometimes we sound like Sun Ra, Don Cherry, sometimes we revert back to heavy metal bebop, Captain Beefheart, Ornette Coleman, Radiohead. Some guy called uh, us off on our one of our recordings and said it sounded like Radiohead. I didn't hear it, but he did. Uh, Steve Reich, Philip Glass, you know, it's it's hard to describe what we do, but if people go back and listen to some of those things, they can they can hear it. In our newest our newest uh, release, First Bliss, uh, I think it's one of our outstanding CDs that we've done. I I'm I was knocked out by it. And I, you never really know that until you go back and listen to it, you know. Because when you're there in the moment, you are experiencing what you experience to create it. And, and when you go back and listen to it, it's a totally different experience. You sort of can remember what was going on. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was fun. I, I'll send you uh, some cuts off of it. Send you some links to some cuts. That, that'd be, uh, I think I think you'll like it. Yeah, that that'd be nice. Well, it sounds like because we haven't. It's been a while since we've talked about the cows at length. It it sounds like that that the cows have evolved from what I remember the first time that you showed me a YouTube video of being a, a, a set quint, quintet or, or or set group to to being a more, more of a collective where that the lineup is is fluid. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's that. That's one of the ways we've evolved. And uh, although the core of the group has stayed the same, uh, there's you know we've we've had uh, different drummers and uh, uh, different bass players and different guitar players and. Uh, you know, we've had all kinds of people play with us through the years, but the core of, of the group has stayed the same. And uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that, I don't know how to explain that, but it's sometimes 
when you sit down, and I say that, I don't know if it's been over four months since I've seen them, and the next time I sit down, we might not be able to do this anymore. But uh, you sort of know what the other guys and gal are going to do. You know, you sort of got an inkling because you played so much with them, you know. Switching gears uh, a, a little bit, and just going going back to what you had had said uh, about uh, about practicing your your Buddhism, I remember listening to an interview of yours I think some time ago where you had said I think before you travel to a, a, a cow's concert gig or recording session that you try not to listen to the radio or anything and you try to keep your mind clear. Do you yeah, do, yeah. You, do you do uh, any meditation or or have any chance that that you say before before a gig that kind of helps get you centered? Oh yeah, um, I don't really talk about this very often, but uh, I try to do a solid, real heavy meditating at least three times a week now, and that's when I uh, shut everything down. Uh, get in front of my altar and do my thing. Now, I meditate every day and through my mantras, uh, you know, I, I do that every day, geez, probably, I don't know, over a dozen times a day. Uh, and, and that's more of a modern thought that you can, you know, you can do a meditation or a mantra while you're standing in the kitchen frying up some bacon, uh, which is a total irony, but uh, <laughs> I, you know, it does work. Uh, but before I play, I uh, am an advocate of the mantra that helps you with your creativity. Uh, and I learned it from... Uh, I learned it from uh, Dorothy Hawkins, uh, Lady D, who is a friend of mine up at uh, uh, the community radio station in Kansas City, uh, KFFI. Mm -hmm. uh, Lady D, uh, she she turned me on to it. I heard her saying it, and and I picked it up, and it really does help. And then, like uh, synchronicity, about two days later, I saw this video of Herbie Hancock talking. And uh, all of a sudden, he was doing this mantra uh, before one of his gigs. And then they asked him about it, and he told them that it frees him up. So I do one that I call Namyo Renge Kyo. Namyo Renge Kyo, Namyo Renge Kyo, Namyo Renge Kyo, Namyo Renge and it it has something to do with the uh, pitch of what you do and how it uh, you know this, I, I don't know this, if you study Buddhism you know that uh, in some of the sects of 
of Buddhists, the actual physical chanting, this is more Zen Buddhism, the, the chanting in the Japanese tradition uh, helps relax the body because of the pitches and the vibrations. And um, I know I can't say that I play better if I do it or play worse. I just know that I feel better about playing. I'll put it that way. Before moving into our final segment, I need to take time to, again, recognize the McFadden family, whose financial contribution helped make this episode possible. Thank you for your support. Shortly after the phone interview, I contacted EE about working on a sacred and secular track together while complying with social distancing guidelines because of the coronavirus pandemic. It was a, a musical experiment, if you will. In addition, I contacted Jim Shecky McGrain, who also occasionally performs in Sacred and Secular and works with me in other music groups. E.E. E. and I developed the melodic themes on trumpet and bass programmed keyboard, respectively. Now that Missouri is reopening, Shecky and I are meeting weekly and developing a percussion part to record. Inspired primarily by the music of Miles Davis, it's an instrumental piece titled Miles the Monk, Minister of Musical Mantras. Here's a sample of the track as arranged for trumpet and bass. Enjoy. As production of this episode was nearing completion, production of Miles the Monk for digital release was nearing completion too. Released through Momut Music, Sacred and Secular's label, it's slated for distribution on Spotify and other streaming and downloading services through cdbaby.com. Look for streaming links in the descriptions of future episodes at buzzsprout.com, the host site for songs, spirituality, and stuff. And this concludes this episode of Song, Spirituality, and Stuff. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Roney of Sacred and Secular. Thanks again to the McFadden family, whose financial contribution helped make this episode possible. And if you want to be a supporting patron of this podcast series, please click on the PayPal donation button located on the bottom of the description page at buzzsprout.com. 
Speaking of which, thanks also to Buzzsprout for serving as the online host for this podcast. And finally, thank you for listening. Check back next month when the next episode of Songs, Spirituality, and Stuff goes live. Until then, blessings to you all. Song Spirituality and Stuff is produced by Momut Music and Momut Multimedia, both imprints of Mutt Media LLC, a Missouri-based social enterprise. It is directed and engineered by Sean Roney. Unless otherwise noted, music for Song Spirituality and Stuff is composed by Sean Roney and performed by Sacred and Secular. The copyright for this podcast is owned by Momut Music and Momut Multimedia. Any use of this podcast without the express written consent of MoMut Music and MoMut Multimedia is prohibited.